Hey Pioneers, welcome to episode number 376. Today we're going to be talking about ways to save both time and money at home in the kitchen. Last week's episode, if you caught that, we talked about planning without having overwhelm on the homestead, and that was in regards to livestock and your garden and all of the endeavors that us homesteaders undertake. And I know a big part of that is feeling like there's not enough hours in the day. And so it's very important that we are as strategic as possible and use different strategies that can help us make the most of the time that we do have. And honestly, with both your budget and your time, cooking from scratch is one always has saved me money if I'm making it at home. And usually will save me time, especially with the tips that I'm going to share with you here. Because for those of you who have been doing a lot of from scratch cooking, you know if you are making all of your meals and snacks a day for your family at home, that adds up to a lot of time spent in the kitchen, a lot of cleaning, and that alone can feel overwhelming, especially if you are working outside the home or you're not at home, or even if you are at home, maybe you work from home, or you're also a homemaker. You know, there's more to do than just being in the kitchen 24-7. Can I get an amen? So I'm going to share with you, these are some tips that I have developed and used in some strategies throughout the years of homesteading and cooking from scratch. I've got a lot of past episodes that have talked about that journey, my health journey. So cooking our meals from scratch with those quality ingredients to ensure we're not consuming things that pose health issues for myself especially is really, really important to us. And I stopped using convenience packaged foods. It's been well over a decade now, going on close to 15 years. But for a good portion of that, I was working away from home, which meant I wasn't home during the day and I would oftentimes get home at about seven o'clock at night, which makes it really difficult to cook dinner at seven o'clock at night when you're walking in the door, unless you want to eat really late, which we didn't. So these are some tried and true tips and strategies that have worked very well for me throughout the years and I still use to this day. This is actually part of a challenge that we are doing inside the Pioneering Today Academy, which is my membership, if you've never heard of that before. And I know we have quite a few Academy members who listen to the podcast as well. And But I felt like this was such a good lesson that we were doing. This is, at the time I'm recording this, was this was week three of our Stretch Your Dollar Challenge. And inside the membership, we do community challenges that just come with your membership at no extra cost that are designed to break things down so that you don't have the overwhelm and take you through a specific topic week by week with support. So this was actually our make it at home week that was part of our stretch your dollar challenge. So if you're an Academy member and you're listening to this and you did not jump into the challenge or you missed week three, This is your friendly reminder. You don't want to miss this. You've got a lot of goodies waiting there for you. And for those of you who aren't Academy members, I felt like this was such a good good and timely 
as well as ever evergreen timely, meaning these tips are going to apply no matter what, but especially where a lot of folks are sitting right now with the economy, inflation and groceries and different things like that, that it, this was just too good not to share with everybody. So welcome to this episode. So when it comes to the overwhelm issue, especially in the kitchen, these are some of my best tips to make sure that you've got food on hand with the least amount of time possible. And that is to save time by doubling or tripling a recipe. This is a strategy that I have used for a really long time but I'm challenging myself to apply it to even more areas that I normally do. So if you've listened to some past episodes of mine or been on some of my trainings, you're very familiar when I talk about doing my batch cooking for the week and my batch baking prep that I normally do on Sundays. But this is taking it even a step further and not just for the baking portion, which is how I normally apply this, but also for my other meal prep and cooking. So you've probably heard of batch cooking before. I did not invent batch cooking. It's something that's been around for a long time. But I found for myself, sometimes those things that seem so obvious that once you get out of the habit of doing them, you don't even realize you've really gotten out of the habit and how much of a difference they make until either you experience something that makes you need to bring it back in or you hear or read something that triggers you and you're like, oh my goodness, yeah, I need to get back into doing that. So that's where batch cooking is going to come in. And you that can look, you know, slightly different for different foods within the kitchen. So one of the things that I like to do is when I am making any type of dough is to double the recipe and freeze it. So for example, biscuit dough, this is an excellent one to use. You really, it takes no more time to make a double batch of biscuit dough than it does a single batch. So bake the batch that you were making to cook fresh. And then the other half of the dough, you are going to simply cut out and then raw, you're going to flash freeze it. And flash freeze it just means like put it on a pan so that they don't stick together until they're frozen. And then you can take them off the pan and put them in a container like a, a gallon Ziploc bag or a freezer container, et cetera, where they're touching. But because they were frozen individually, they won't stick together. Then when you want to bake your biscuits, you simply preheat your oven, pull them out frozen, cook them from frozen. You guys, it can't get any faster than that. You cook them from frozen and usually just add a couple of extra minutes baking time. So this works really well for both cookie dough and biscuit dough. Now, there are some doughs that I prefer to actually bake and then freeze from its baked or cooked form versus the dough. But biscuit and pastry pie crust dough, that I prefer to freeze raw and then bake it at the time of preparation or eating. And if you have never tried my pastry dough, which is pie crust, it's actually my great grandmother's recipe, or the biscuit dough, they are the flakiest of both of those, pie crust and biscuits, that I have ever had. And if you've struggled to make good pie crust before, either the it was tough, it was hard to work with, you couldn't get it to roll outright, or just didn't have great flavor and texture, 
I'm telling you, my great grandma's recipe, it has a couple secret ingredients, makes all the difference. I have had people who are in their 60s text me on Thanksgiving Day and say, I have always struggled with making pie crust from scratch. I used your recipe and I cannot believe how phenomenal they turned out, how easy they are. Like, I don't know where this recipe has been my whole life. And as I said, I can't take credit. It's my great grandma's recipe and it is really that amazing. So we will have links into today's episode to all of the different recipes like this that I have up on the website so that you can access them. Now, if you are a PTA member, Pioneering Today Academy member, you're gonna wanna go and grab your download guide that is inside the Homestead Household Management course. And it's the take action steps to keep more of your money and download the Make It At Home guide because I do have a lot for available for free on my website. But if you're an Academy member, you get a lot more. And so you're gonna wanna grab the links that are inside that download guide and the recipes that are in there rather than grabbing the ones from the website. So just a little bit of distinction there. And to access today's podcast blog post that has the links to all of these different recipes for you, you're going to want to do that at melissaknorris.com forward slash 376, number 376, because this is episode number 376. melissaknorris.com forward slash 376. Okay, back to our plans for keeping overwhelmed down in the kitchen, meals from scratch, and saving us time and money. So that's the easiest way to do this is to simply double everything that you're making and freeze the second portion. Now, if you have a freeze dryer, I would highly recommend that you freeze dry some of those second dishes and portions so that your freezer is not stuffed and you've got some shelf stable items that all you have to do is add water to when you want to be eating said things. So depending on the equipment that you have on hand. Now the next thing in our repertoire of skill sets here is to do your meal planning. Now, like I said, easiest version is just double everything that you're doing or triple it. However, meal planning is going to allow you to look ahead at what meals need some of the same key ingredients and to then batch prep those items for the week. So for example, when you're looking at your meal planning, I don't know about you guys, but we almost have, at least at dinner, we are pretty much always going to be using chopped onion, minced garlic, and then possibly celery and carrots, maybe peppers, kind of depending on what it is. But onions are really the base of almost all of my cooking and garlic when it comes to savory. So if you're looking at your menu plan for the week and you see, okay, this dinner needs chopped onions, this one needs chopped onions, that one just needs some celery, that one needs carrots, you see where I'm going here with kind of these common ingredients? Well, it's a lot easier to chop all of the onions for the week, all of the celery for the week, all the carrots for the week, all of those types of things, chop them at one time because you're going to save time by getting out carrots and if you're using a food processor to chop it up or if you're just using your knife and a cutting board, but you get my point. It's going to be saving time on doing dishes, getting things out, and just your time spent on getting ingredients out over and over again every night instead of just once, prepping them all for the week. So chop all of those babies up They'll store just fine in the fridge in their chopped format for the week. 
And do this for your multiple recipes. You know, take a look and see when you've got the meal planning like that on what things can I batch and have ready to go. This also helps for making sure that you've got the appropriate meats or things that are in the freezer that need to be thawed for that day. I can't tell you how many times I realized, oh, I forgot to take out XYZ and it's still frozen and I need to cook dinner in 30 minutes from now. Now, Thankfully, I have some tips that can help you on if you forgot to get your meat out on time. But if you've meal planned, then you can look ahead of time and set some of those tasks up, pull all the meat out for the week, or at least for the first half of the week, right, from the freezer and put it in the fridge so that day of cooking, that meat is already thawed and ready to go for you. All the vegetables and those types of things have been prepped, so you really just have to throw them together. The other part of planning ahead is making sure that you have all of your ingredients. So looking at that meal plan, and I feel with meal planning, if I get all of my dinners planned for the week, score. I am winning at life because we use what's left over for dinners. Sometimes we'll use them actually for leftovers if there's enough for everybody in the family to have it. More often than not, our dinners become the next day's lunch. So I don't meal plan lunch. Sometimes I meal plan breakfast, but I rarely meal plan lunch because I know we're just going to have the leftovers. But looking at what that is and making sure that you have everything that those recipes call for. For example, if you need buttermilk to make your buttermilk biscuits, do you need sour cream? Do you need cream cheese? You know where I'm going. Um, Having that allows you to, you know, look ahead and see, okay, I need those items. If I don't have them, then I'm going to make sure that I've got my time prepped and set aside to make those items. So I like to do that because really like making your homemade buttermilk and your homemade sour cream, those cultured dairy items really don't take hardly any hands-on time. It's just the sitting time for them to actually culture and ferment. So it really just takes a couple of minutes for me to stir the culture into the milk etc. And then there's sometimes an 8 to 12 hour waiting period, but that's completely hands off. I'm not actually doing anything with it. I just have to make sure that I've got it done far enough in advance so it's ready to go then for the recipe. And those are things, and this is where I like to uh, kind of um, like, it's time stacking basically. So I know that in the mornings I'm going to be in the kitchen making my coffee because this girl does not go without coffee. And so I will make sure if I need, you know, buttermilk or sourdough starter needs to be mixed for something for that evening, whatever it is, when I'm already in the kitchen, knowing that those things need to be done, I just go ahead and do them right then and there as I'm getting my morning coffee ready and and that type of stuff in the kitchen. The other thing that I will do is at night, I'm already in the kitchen cooking dinner on cooking nights. So I will make sure while dinner is cooking and then I'm in the kitchen or even cleaning up the kitchen, doing the dishes, you know, putting dinner away, et cetera, I'm already physically in the kitchen. That is an excellent time to get my milk heated for my yogurt and to get the yogurt right going. And so then it just ferments overnight. And then in the morning, the, the yogurt's all ready to go, either put it in the fridge or if I'm going to strain it to make yogurt cheese, whatever it is, it's ready to go for me in the morning. So I like to do actually a lot of some of this prep work stuff like this for the week. I will work it into when I'm already in the kitchen and present. And oftentimes that actually falls into the evening because like I said, I can have, you know, the pot going on the stove where I'm frying or making a sauce or whatever for dinner. 
I might as well have it another pot going with the milk and the thermometer right then and there for some of, in the example of this, of making yogurt or even cheese or some of my other cultured dairy products. So time stacking, when you're already in there, using that time to create a few more items, doubling up those recipes, and then meal prep, batching, anything that can be prepped for the entire week, doing that all at one go. Now, some other things that you can do is look at when do you have big blocks of time. As I said, if you've taken any of my training and went through, I teach once or twice a year, I will teach the class on for free how to bake all of your home-baked goods in just a couple of hours one day a week. And so some of you have went through that. If you're an Academy member, that lesson's available for you in there. And then I also do do a free teaching on that a couple times a year. So, So some of you are familiar with this premise already. But... That is taking that block of time where you have it. And from the days when I worked a day job and was commuting to the pharmacy, that was usually Sunday afternoons. And so I continue that because that time of day and that day of the week has already become a very ingrained habit for me. But look at where your schedule is. And ideally, you're going to be picking the day of the week and the time. And it's the same time of day, same day of the week, you know, like uh, so on and so forth. I lost my I lost my wording there, um, or my train of thought, I should say. I mean, it should be consistent and try to make it the same time and date of the week every week so that it becomes a habit that you don't have to think about. That's what I was trying to say. And so that is to do batch cooking. So some people will do one weekend a month where they will make up a huge amount of freezer meals so that they can pull them out whenever they do have limited time. And they'll just stack the freezer with all types of these different freezer meals. Sometimes for some folks, if you are pressure canning, that will be where you're going to pressure can up a whole bunch of meals and you're just going to do it over a weekend. So you've got shelf-stable meals ready to go in jars without having to use the freezer. Kind of see where I'm going, going here with this. This is dependent upon the tools that you've got. But whatever it is, is it's the planning part. I think that I really probably hitting this nail multiple times on the head, but you can see all of this takes some degree of planning ahead of time and then executing. But it's really that planning part. You've got to get that in in order to do any of these things. Now, despite using all of the tools that I have just laid out for you, and we will have in that written blog post in case you want to print these out or go back and reference them, you know what? Sometimes you still have busy, crazy schedule nights and times where you forgot to pull out your meat and it is frozen and you're like, oh boy, I need to have this done. So there's a couple of a couple different ways that you can go depending upon when you remembered and how large the cut of meat is. So when it comes to a whole chicken or a ham or a large roast, something like, like that, your instant pot or a sous vide is going to be your best friend. I love the instant pot because I can get a whole frozen chicken in the instant pot, cook it, and an hour and some minutes later, that baby is ready to go fully cooked all the way through. So even if I forgot to thaw it out, it doesn't matter in it using the Instant Pot, it is very safe to put something in fully frozen. It will cook it all the way through. Whereas I would never put a fully frozen chicken in the oven and try to bake it that way. That that would just be a disaster. It would be dried out on the outside and not fully cooked on the inside. I mean, you get where I'm going there. 
Um, and with a slow cooker, if it was a little bit still frozen, I'll be honest, if I was cooking it slow all day long and I had like eight hours, if it was almost all the way thawed, I still would put it in the slow cooker. I know technically I've heard you're not supposed to do that, but I'm just being honest. We never had a problem. I will also say though, however, that was always with our own meat that we had raised and processed ourselves. I knew exactly how fresh that meat was, when it was frozen, how it was handled, etc. But the Instant Pot can be great for cooking your meat from a completely frozen state, especially when it's those full, like, like I said, a roast, a ham, a whole chicken, etc. You can even do chicken breast. You can do uh, chicken thighs. I've done all of them from a frozen state. You usually just have to increase the time, cooking time when it's from frozen from the non or the thawed, non-frozen state, uh, depending upon the size of it, like anywhere from five to maybe 20 minutes. So a whole frozen chicken, if the cook time for thawed was an hour, then I would instant pot it for an hour and 20 minutes. See where I'm going there? And there's, you can look up depending upon how many pounds the item is and its normal cook time, et cetera. There's lots of charts and different things that you can look that will give you the estimated time from frozen cook time uh, and pounds, uh, not pounds of pressure, but setting. If it's high, low, et cetera. If you need to do natural release, instant release. If I, that sounds Greek to you, it is all Instant Pot lingo and will make sense once you've been using an Instant Pot for even just a short amount of time. Okay. Sous vide can also be an excellent way to do things. It does take longer, but if you remember the morning of, you can put it in the sous vide from its frozen state and about six to seven hours before dinner time, very similar to a slow cooker, except you're putting the meat in frozen, it will be done and cooked all the way through. And then, of course, there is our old-fashioned slow cooker and or crock pot if you're going to be gone all day or just busy, I still do love the slow cooker function. I just use the Instant Pot because it has the slow cooker function on it. But I know many, many of you, my mother included, loves her crock pot and slow cooker. She doesn't really like operating the Instant Pot, to be honest. So she still uses her slow cooker if it's not a pressure cooking item. But that, again, is a wonderful thing to take advantage of when you know ahead of time right, that you're going to be busy. And that's just a little bit of planning to make sure that that food is ready to go and throw it into the slow cooker. Now, these are all ways that will save you both time and money in the long run, especially if you would have went and purchased something that was a convenience item or went out to dinner or had delivery or something like that because you weren't planning ahead. One of the other things that we were doing, and we're going to make sure that we have the resources in today's blog post, is the make it at home and not just cooking from home. Obviously, that's what we've been talking about this entire episode. But looking at your ingredients for the meals that you're going to be preparing for the week and picking one of those items to make a homemade version of that you're still purchasing from the store. So for example, if you are making homemade chili, but you're using a chili seasoning mix, you know, like those packets that have all your different, you know, onion powder, garlic powder, chili powder, et cetera, mixed together, uh, taco seasoning packets, Italian seasoning blends. You get where I'm going with this, right? Well, make those at home from your individual spices and buy your spices in bulk. You will save so much money. 
You won't have some of the weird added ingredients that they put in oftentimes to a lot of the seasoning mixes. Uh, you won't have the anti-caking agents. You won't have some of the extra preservatives. And they still sometimes will get away with doing that natural flavoring. I'm using quotation marks even though you can't see me using them with my hands. When they put natural flavoring, you actually have no idea what that means because they don't have to legally disclose it. It's a little loophole where they can throw a lot of things in there. And just because it says natural ingredients doesn't actually mean it's things that you want to be consuming. And then, of course, there's, you know, things like MSG or, you know, different weird things they put in there. Sometimes oils, not always, depending on what your your mix is. But they can still get some pretty funky ingredients into those seasoning packets that I am not comfortable consuming. And again, I have always saved money by stocking the individual spices and herbs and then making my own mixes. Plus, then I can really flavor it, tailor it to what our flavor preferences are. And today's sponsor of this podcast episode is Azure Standard. And I have been getting the bulk of my spices and herbs now, at least the ones that we're not growing ourselves, from Azure for the past three years. I've always been very pleased with the quality of their seasonings. I can, they're always very vibrant in color, really potent in taste when we get them. And that's one of the things, like if you're going through your, your seasoning or spice cabinet and, and or your herb cabinet and you open it up and you're like, I can't, like you're smelling it and you can't tell what it is by smell because the scent has been lost, that's a sign it's old. You're also not going to have much flavor in it, right? Because it's, it's past. So for your herbs and your spices, you know, ideally within a year. I've had some that have been two years, and if they've been kept in a dark environment, away from moisture, away from high heat, sealed up nice and tight, you know, all the all the things that we would look for when we're doing food storage, they have still been potent and been really good two years out. So it's going to depend on what it is. Um, I feel like spices last longer than a lot of your green leafy herbs. But look at the color. Like I said, they should still be vibrant. If it's a green herb, it should still be the that deep, bright green color of whatever it is. Um, the duller the coloring, that's usually a sign that it's a little bit older and really the smell test as well. And I've always been really pleased by all of the herbs that I and spices that I have gotten from Azure Standard. I get my cumin from them. I get my chili powder from them, my cinnamon, my nutmeg, my ginger. Tumor, did I say turmeric? I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> Curry. I mean... All of the spices that I can't grow here, I get from Azure Standard. And the great thing is they have a coupon code for new customers. So if you're a first-time customer, if you've never used Azure Standard before, use coupon code PIONEERING10 and you'll get 10% off your first order of $50 or more. The key to not getting overwhelmed with this is to pick one item first that you are buying a store-bought version of and make it at home. And after it becomes a normal part of your routine, you've got that down, then pick another item. Now, we will make sure that we link to in today's blog post that accompanies this episode. As I said, I've got some seasoning mixes for you. So how to make some of your different seasoning blends, spice blends, etc. We'll link to that how to make your own homemade yogurt. If you've never made yogurt at home, it's extremely easy. There's multiple different ways that you can be successful at it without buying a yogurt maker. Sourdough, if you're buying yeast, 
then learning how to make sourdough will eliminate the store-bought yeast. And sourdough has so many beautiful, delicious health benefits as well. You're going to want to make sure you take advantage of that. If you're buying bread, learn how to make your own bread homemade at home or biscuits. If you're buying biscuits in a can or pastry dough, pie dough, pie crust from the refrigerator section or the freezer section at the store, oh my friends, I promise you can make it at home. It's so much better and I walk you through every single step of doing that on the website. I've got videos on those so you can go and watch them peanut butter. If you've not made your own homemade peanut butter before, if you're buying peanut butter, that can be a really easy item to make at home. Vanilla extract. You can make vanilla extract or mint extracts. In fact, almost any extract that you're buying from the store, you can make at home really, really easy. Refried beans. Making homemade refried beans, one, they I think they taste so much better Again, not having some of those weird hydrogenated oils in them that they can sneak into the store-bought ones. Very, I mean, dried beans are extremely frugal and learning how to cook them and make refried beans is a wonderful way to go. Homemade Bisquick mix. Homemade cream of soups. Oh my gosh, we have not bought condensed cream of soup from the store in over a decade. I can't even imagine purchasing it because it is so easy to make And you guys, you can make homemade condensed cream of soup. I'm not kidding you. I've timed it in four minutes. Four minutes. You can't go and get in your car and back out of your driveway in hardly four minutes. Making homemade crackers, homemade granola bars, homemade tomato sauce, homemade pickles, and even homemade Pop-Tarts. All of these are really easy to do at home, taste delicious, and I have got links to all of the recipes and tutorials to help you implement those as well. Now, if you're in the Pioneering Today Academy, your download guide will have even more than what I just listed, but all the things I just listed is an excellent place to start. And if you're interested in joining the Academy, we will be opening four new members in March, and I'll have more information about that as we get closer. Now for our verse of the week. I'm going to be sharing from John chapter 1, Verse 5. This is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. And the light shines on in the darkness, for the darkness has never overpowered it, put it out, or absorbed it, or appropriated it, and is unreceptive to it. I recently started going to a new Bible study with a brand new bunch of gals, actually. And Normally, I've attended a lot of Bible studies in the past, and usually all of the Bible studies that I have attended, we have picked a specific Bible study book, you know, like it's on a certain subject and it will use different verses and walk you through that. You read the, you know, the chapter or the day. There's different formats, obviously, for Bible study, how it's set up, how many times you're meeting, etc. And then usually there's a set set of questions that you'll go through and you'll answer and then you'll come back and share your answers or there'll be discussion points that will tell you from that chapter, you know, to read through as a group or etc. But this has been the first Bible study that I've done where we are just picking an actual book of the Bible and we are working our way through it as a group. And it happens to be John. And so last week was the first week that we started and I went to the group and it was wonderful. And I'm sharing this with you because I had been part of a Bible study. There was four four 
four people in the study, and we were really consistent for years. I mean, we met together. I can't even tell you how many different studies we did together over the years. And then, you know, there's seasons and things happen and change, and we weren't getting together anymore as a group, but we kept having plans to pick it back up, the core group that we had, and just different things happened with different members, and we didn't do it. So I was invited to go to this Bible study, and like I said, it wasn't with uh, quite a few of the ladies I had never even met before. Um, And sometimes that can be a little, I don't, or maybe it's just me, but sometimes if you don't know people in the group at all, or, and you only know a couple of the, the two ladies who invited me, I know a little bit, but sometimes it, You know, it can almost be like, gosh, I don't know. Like, I don't really know everybody. I don't know what it's going to be like. And you can kind of talk yourself out of those situations. But I will encourage you, it is good for us to step out, especially with uh, our, you know, not, how, how am I trying? I know what I'm trying to say, but I don't know that it's coming out very well. It can be really easy for those of us who have been in a church for a really long time or with our church members to stay within that group. And there's nothing wrong with being in Bible studies that are in your church and fellowshipping with people that are in your church. I I don't mean that. But it's also really good for us to step outside of our church and our specific uh, denomination in some instances with other fellow believers in Christ because Jesus goes across all denominations, right? Jesus isn't Baptist. Jesus wasn't Lutheran. You get where I'm going. And so... I just enjoyed so much being with and meeting new sisters in Christ. And it's really good. I mean, I read my Bible at home. I go to church on Sunday. I'm on the worship team at church. But there's something about being together with other people and reading and studying the word aloud together as a group, which is different because you're having that back and forth discussion than what you get in a church service. And I'm not saying to stop or one is, you know, either or, ideally doing both. But I was really excited and very encouraged from the Bible study. I'm, I can't wait for us to meet and to go back again. And I wanted to share this though, because this was, I mean, I, I don't know about you, obviously, but I have read the Bible through in its entirety twice. And that's starting from Genesis and reading my way all the way through. I did it when I was in high school and then I did it again when I was in my 20s. And then I still read the Bible almost every day. There are days that I don't, but almost every day. So I've read it through consecutively twice, but reading all of the different verses over and over again at 43, just had my birthday, 43 years of age, you know, it's it's something that I have a lot of I've read through the Bible a lot. I've read the chapter of John a lot. But when we were together as a group, I felt like I had so much more insight and the word became so much more alive, even though I had read this chapter before. And what I got that was my kind of revelation to this specific verse, and which is why I wanted to share it with you. And it's really was, was uh, one through five, but five really encapsulated it the most here. And that is that so often we can be in those dark places or those places of struggle, those places of hardship, especially if it's somewhere that we have been struggling for a long time, or we feel like it's 
it's a reoccurring struggle or it's a reoccurring problem that never fully goes away. Or something is very, very heavy. You're walking through a very dark, hard time. However, God shines in the darkness. And I have to say that when I've been going through those hard times, when I lean on the Lord and when I cry out to him, that is where I see him the most. That is where I am drawn close to him. That is where I I see him at work and he is actually magnified the most is in the darkness. And so if you are going through a hard time to know that he is there in the darkness with you and that darkness never overpowers light. You can have the tiniest speck of light on the darkest of dark nights, especially when the power goes out and it's in the middle of winter and it's a cloudy night. There is no moonlight. There is no starlight. Power's out. So there's no light from anywhere else. And you light a candle and you can see. Whereas you can have broad daylight, right? You can have all the daylight and it's a beautiful, beautiful sunny day. And if there's a little darkness or shadow, like the light just overpowers it. You don't, it does, you don't ever see it. But how amazing is that? That you can have total darkness and one little tiny speck of light, the darkness can't overtake it. That light is there no matter what. It cannot be extinguished by just darkness itself, right? So it was just a really powerful revelation for me that in those areas of hardship that God shines there. He is still shining there, no matter how hard and how difficult those times may feel. And if you are walking in the midst of them right now, He is there. He is shining. And you will be able to look back at that and see how much he was shining and how much he was working and how much he was there. And so I just give you that that reminder and what I hope is hope and what is a promise for you because I needed to hear that. I needed that verse to be brought to light and expounded on and to really let that sink in. And so I would encourage you, if you're in that spot, to read John 1, 1 through 5, and, and the whole chapter, but really on that part of 1 through 5. Well, I know that this got to be a little bit longer of an episode, but I am so glad that you joined me today, and I look forward to being here with you next week. Blessings and mason jars for now, my friend. <laughs>